great comfort and strength we find when we lean on you, when we trust in you, leaning not on our own understanding, leaning not on our limited strength and intelligence, but leaning wholly on your mercy and your grace, trusting in your faithfulness to do today what you did yesterday and so many times before. We thank you, Lord, for the great comfort our hearts receive this day as we just lean and trust and meditate on your faithful, strong, and everlasting arms. Now, Lord, as we continue to walk by faith and not by sight, help us not to waver, help us not to shrink back, but as we take step by step, advancing in your good and perfect will, let our faith be holy in you, trusting in what you can do and what you have done. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Let's give the Lord a clap offering of praise. He's wonderful. He's faithful. He's dependable. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In thee we put our trust. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank the Lord. Amen. Cast that care. Launch that burden. Trust in the Lord. So good to see everybody. Happy Father's Day, guys. God bless you. Amen. Go ahead. Yeah, clap for yourselves. Amen. So good. We have so many wonderful natural fathers and fathers of the faith many good fathers of the faith part of pleasant grove we, we love you and we thank god for you and we're just gonna there's that as normal there's that gift in the back and uh, go ahead and don't eat too much of it it'll mess up your sugar or whatever the thing is amen but if you would children you are dismissed to children's church amen And if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to John's Gospel, chapter number one. John's Gospel, chapter number one. Again, happy Father's Day. And we do thank the Lord for all the solid and faithful men that make pleasant grow in their home church. Amen? We thank God for our natural fathers, and we do thank God for our spiritual fathers. And we have them here, and we've had them through the years. And we also want to thank the Lord for our fellow brothers in the Lord, those that we lock arms with week after week, pray with, work with, serve with. We thank God for our brothers in the Lord. And this morning we want to look at a father, a father in the natural, a father in the faith by the name of Peter. And we want to glean from Peter, hopefully some encouragement and some inspiration. So if you have your Bibles, if you would, John's Gospel, the first chapter, look at verse 35. Look, look at verse 35. And the Bible says, The next day John, John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? And he said, Come and you will see. And so they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. Now it was about the tenth hour. Now Andrew, that's Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John said who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to bring his brother Simon and tell him, hey, we found the Lord, we found the Christ, we found the Messiah. In verse 42, when Jesus and Peter meet, he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which translated means a rock. This morning, we want to use as a title, Peter and God's Second Greatest Miracle. 
Now, this is a part two. You might not remember part one. We preached it about a year and a half ago. It was one of those, it must have followed a guest speaker the next week or a holiday. We just never got around to it. And as I looked, I said, you know, that, that message is going to make a good Father's Day message. It really has. Peter was a father in the faith. Peter was a man's man that I think all of us can relate as we study his life. And so we want to look this morning um, at the second greatest miracle. Now, we said, if you can remember way back, that the greatest miracle, of course, is salvation. The greatest miracle God performs in any life is the saving of a soul that meets the greatest need. Of course, it costs the greatest price. Jesus had to die. And it produces the greatest results, eternity, forever. Amen? You can get healed of an illness this morning, but sooner or later, um, Hopewell will call. But um, when you get saved, that's eternal life. Amen? That's forever. When we surrender our lives to Christ, put our faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross, God washes away our sins. He forgives us all our transgressions. He puts a new heart within us, writes our name in his Lamb's book of life, and he calls us son. He calls us daughter. Salvation, eternal life, the miracle of God's love and the miracle of God's grace and God's power. But the second greatest miracle flows out of the first, and that's what we want to focus on. That's the transforming of God's children into the people he desires them to be. And this should be our desire. You see, friend, the new birth isn't, the be, isn't the end. It's just the beginning. It's where things start. God wants to take us from being saved to being sanctified and maturing and growing and becoming the men and women he's called us to be. The new birth actually begins that process of growth and transformation and development. And that's what happened to Peter. Jesus met him and Jesus transformed him and Jesus used him to bless many, many others and that's what he wants to do with our lives. Like the rest of us, you know, Peter, he was far from faultless when him and Jesus first met, wasn't he? I mean, in fact, Peter was pretty unstable and impulsive. He wasn't exactly a rock. He was, he was headstrong, he wavered, but Jesus loved him and Jesus chose him. And because Peter worked or cooperated with the Lord, Jesus transformed his life, and Jesus used his life, made his life a miracle, made his life a great blessing to others, and that's what he wants to do with each one of us. I mean, we look at this story, we think, you know, Peter, he was anything but a rock when Jesus first met him. Later on, he was to become the pillar of the church, but Jesus named him, not for what he was, but what, by the grace of God, he would become as he followed the Lord. So wherever you stand this morning, don't let that discourage you if you're not as far as long as you'd like to be. Keep walking with the Lord. Keep leaning on those arms. Keep pressing forward in this walk of faith. God is a good God. God is a faithful God. And he'll help you to grow and he'll help you to mature. If you don't quit, you can't lose. Keep walking on with Jesus. Can you say amen? Now we see this beginning encounter in verse 42. It's, it's an exciting encounter between Jesus and Peter. But there's so much in here that we can relate to as God wants to take his men and develop us and mature us and help us to become the ones he's called and chosen us to be. We see in verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him. It starts out with what we call the penetrating look. There's that word in the Greek for look. It means he didn't just gaze. He looked right into him. That man, he looked right through them. He looked at Peter. And he saw everything about him, but he still said, Peter, follow me. I love you. I desire you. I choose you. 
He saw his past. He saw his future. He looked through with the eyes of amazing grace through him, and yet he still chose him. And then after he looked at him, he spoke to him. And he said, you are. He discerns his character. He says, you're Peter. You're Simon. I know you. Yet, I've got something good for you. I know where you're at, but I'm going to take you to where you need to be. And I'm calling you this morning, and I'm inviting you to live a life of purpose, to live a life of destiny, to live a life of fruitfulness and usefulness. We see in this encounter how Jesus looks right through him as he looks through all of us. And he knows us, every frailty, every question, every doubt. He knows us, yet he still says, I choose you and I desire you and I want you. Follow me. He knows who we are and he declares, you are. But he says, this is what you shall be. But he speaks a second time. And it's more than just a prediction. It's a divine declaration. As the Son of God prophesies the destiny of Simon. He says, you are, but you shall be. You're going to be a rock of a man. You are going to be a stable man. You're going to be a strong man. I know who you are right now, but by my amazing grace, as you walk with me, you shall become strong and stable and consistent, a man, a leader in my kingdom, a leader in the earth, in a changing world. You're going to be a stable man. In a demanding world, you're going to be a dependable man. And as you follow me, I'm going to make you into the one you are to become. And because of that, many, many, many others will be blessed by you and blessed through you. We pray, Lord, do it again, do it again. Lord, do it in us. Make us into the men you've called us to be that we might bring your blessing to the world and those you've entrusted to our care. We know where we're at, but, oh, God, take us to the place where we need to be. Work in us, oh, God, and help us to grow and help us to overcome and help us to mature so we might carry out your plan and fulfill our intended destiny. Can you say amen to that? You see, Jesus speaks to you and I this morning. When you get saved, it's not just for a fire insurance. He's calling you to a life of purpose and destiny and fruitfulness. There's a reason for your being. And when Jesus calls a man, the response is this. If you come to Jesus, he will receive you. If you cooperate with Jesus and let him have his way, then he will transform you. And if you obey him, he'll use you and you'll become the one God's called you to be. And through your life, many, many, many others will be blessed, will be reached, will be touched by the power of God. Now, we need to remember some things as we walk with God. Because many begin, but they don't finish. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many begin this journey, but things happen that they just kind of pass out along the wayside. So listen, let's take note. It's important that in the process of becoming, you are, you shall be. When we get saved, most of us are a mess. But God sees more than what we are. He sees what we shall be, what we can become. And we'll just follow him and lean on those arms and let him work. His, stay on that potter's wheel. He's got something good in store. Now, it's important in the process of becoming, in the process of maturing and following him, that number one, it's important that you and I face the facts with faith. Face the facts with faith. What do I mean? He says you are. We respond, yes, Lord, I am. I haven't arrived yet, Lord. I agree. But, oh, God, I ask you, give me some grace to change. Give me the grace I need to submit to your dealings and remain on that potter's wheel. 
Yes, Lord, I agree. I am under construction, but I'm willing if you help me. I want to grow if you'll give me the grace to grow. I want to face the facts with faith. I think the great apostle Paul said it so well. He understood this principle. He says, I have not attained it yet. I haven't reached it yet. But this one thing I do, I'm going to forget the past and I'm going to keep pressing on with the Lord. I'm going to keep giving God my greatest effort. I realize I'm not all that. I haven't arrived yet. But I believe God will help me to grow. I believe God will help me to overcome my weaknesses, to get back up after my failures, to see things that I haven't seen yet and become the man I'm not yet arrived at. Face the facts with faith and face your failures with hope. I say that to someone. God spoke to your heart and you want to serve God, but every now you fail and sometimes it frustrates you and the devil says, give up. What's the use? You're never going to become. The devil is a liar. If you stay with Jesus, he will not give up on you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. You can fall down a hundred times. He'll be there to lift you up again if you let him, if you work with this God, as you walk with the Lord. We face the facts that, Lord, we're not where we need to be, but we're trusting you to take us where we need to go and I'm going to face my failures with hope because guess what failures do come along the way it doesn't matter how long you pray in tongues how much you shout and dance and fall out failure is part of this walk with God we're not arrived yet folks we're not perfected yet and the important thing to remember I'm going to face my failures with hope I'm not going to give up on God I'm not going to give up on myself whoever you are don't give up on Jesus don't give up on yourself. God still has a plan. God still has a purpose. God's still willing to help you if you want to be helped and you'll work with God. Can you say amen? Failures will come, but don't give up. Let's learn from them and take ownership of them and get up and get going again. We're going to tell ourselves, God is going to help me. I might not be there yet, but I've got a God who is on my side. I have a God that's committed to help me overcome these things and prevail against these things and handle these things that seem to overwhelm me. I have a heavenly Father. It's Father's Day, and we have a great, loving, compassionate heavenly Father. He is a patient Father. He's a Father of another chance. He's a Father that lifts us up when we fall, that strengthens us when we're weak, that counsels us when we're confused. We have a heavenly Father that's there to say, even if you fail, if you don't give up, I'll forgive you, I'll restore you, and I'll get you back in the race again. I'm going to face some facts with faith. I need to grow. I haven't arrived yet. There's still things in me, me and God got to overcome. Can you say amen to that? And when I fall and sometimes I get frustrated and the devil says what's the use? I'm going to remind myself the devil is a liar but God is a God of that second chance and that third chance and he'll help me. I'll never forget, you know, when you grow up playing as kids, we grew up playing ball. You know, it's from Little League to Pop Warner, Pee Wee Wrestling, you name it. We played it all. And with every event, there was a banquet, right? Always a banquet. Always had a banquet. Had to get your trophy. Look forward to that night, all right? Big night. Going to get your trophy and all your ribbons, whatever you're getting. And I can remember, you know, eight, nine years old, you can still remember some things. I remember one of the speakers we had, Mr. Lang. He was the vice principal of the school. He lived just down the street from us. And he spoke at a Little League banquet. And for some reason, all these years later, this one thing he said still stuck. He must have been speaking about 
one of the great hitters of that day, maybe Rod Carew, Pete Rose, or someone. And you know, in baseball, if you bat 300, that's very good. That's the goal, 300 hitter. And he was the first person that brought to this little brain of mine. He says, young men, but understand, he's trying to encourage us in life, in school. Don't give up. Keep giving your best. Keep getting back in there. He says, we, we applaud 300, but if you do the math, that means that seven out of ten times you fail. You fail. But yet we just look at the three out of ten where we succeed. Start looking more at the three out of ten. And don't let the seven out of ten cause you to give up and stop trying. Can you say amen to that? Oh, yeah. Facing failures with hope that this failure doesn't have the last say in my life. I've got a good God that restores and revives and brings us forward. But not only facing facts with faith, not only facing failures with hope, facing the future with determination and expectation. Somebody, God's got some good stuff for you. God's got some blessings for you. God's got some prayers that he's just getting ready to answer. God has some doors he's just getting ready to swing open. God's got some divine encounters that he is orchestrating, and you're just a few days away. Face the future with an expectation and a determination, and be determined that God has called you, and God is with you, and God won't fail you, and the work he began, he's promised to complete. Come on, say amen to that. Make up your mind and have a determination, child of God. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going on with Jesus. You're going to finish your race and continue to fight this fight. You'll keep the faith no matter what. Listen, not everyone's going to go with you. I'm sorry to say that. It hurts my heart to say that. The fact is, everyone's not going with you, and there will be some battles and storms and sacrifices along the way but you have made up your mind that Jesus is worth it and your commitment to Christ is real and genuine and you're sincere and serious when you say Jesus I will follow you and I will leave the rest lo let it be settled this day you have made up your mind you'll serve the Lord you'll make heaven your home and you will become the man the father the husband the son that God has called you to be. Can you say amen? I want you to notice four characteristics from Peter's life, four characteristics that we can identify with, or at least it'll point us in the right direction. Jesus called Peter to a very special ministry, placed a special honor upon him in his calling. Had to be some things in Peter's life that Jesus recognized and saw as good things to use for his glory. Now, again, remember, Jesus chose him, and he knew that Peter wasn't perfect. That's comforting. That he would make some mistakes along the way. That is comforting. But he still chose him, and he was patient with him and faithful with him, and he'll do the same with us. What were some of the things he might have saw in Peter's life? Number one, they all have eyes. So number one, Peter, he saw industry. In the life of Peter, there was something called industry, a work ethic, a diligence, a, a willingness to work hard and long. You know, Peter was a business owner. If you run your own business, it's all on you. You, you, you don't get, you know, forget the union. You got nothing. You, you don't have three weeks vacation. Um, you got to pay yourself. I mean, if you ever have your own business, you know there are struggles and demands and challenges that others don't face. Peter was such a man. 
And, and, and I can remember years and years ago, um, when, when I was in Bible school, my pastor came and they asked him to preach at one of the chapel services. And Pastor Veach, of course, he's preached on the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. And he spoke and encouraged us. We're all young people in our teens about the great harvest and the opportunities to serve the Lord. But then he got to that part, the laborers are few, and he paused. And he said, remember now, he's calling, calling laborers, not loafers, not loafers. I never remember that. Well, Pastor Veach, come off the farm, and if you're a farmer, you know how to work. And, and he, he stressed that. I remember him stressing that to his young people. God's not looking for lazy. He's looking for diligence and perseverance and hard work. This is what was seen in Peter. It's important to work hard. I read a funny story the other day. A man was visiting the Vatican, and he was so impressed by all the people he saw working there. I mean, there's clerical and there's custodians. I mean, there's priests here. There's security there. People leading you through the museums here, working the grounds. And finally, he got, uh, he, hooked, he ran to the Pope. And he got talking to Mr. Pope. I'm amazed at how many people actually work here. He goes, how many people actually work here? And the Pope responded, actually work here? About half of them, about half of them, about half of them. Um, the others are just collecting a check, amen. But you know, when you work for yourself, you can't just mail it in, can you? Peter was a man of industry. You know, Peter was a professional fisherman. And the Lord chose at least seven of his disciples. They were professional fishermen. Professional fishermen have good qualities for kingdom service. For example, they're, they're, they're men of perseverance and cooperation. Hard work, patience, courage, determination, diligence. All qualities. They had to fight the elements. Work long, hard hours. So many things beyond their control. If they don't bring it in, they don't get paid. They don't eat. They have no one. It's a professional. Good qualities for a believer. Effort, energy, persistence, fortitude, discipline, teamwork, stick to itiveness, industry, a good Christian work ethic, a good spiritual work ethic, a key to victory and fruitfulness, accomplishment. A key to servant leadership that heaven applauds. The Bible praises faithful effort, industry, diligence. I think it was Brother Hagee that said the only place you'll find um, success before work. No, success. <laughs> How do you work it here? Uh, <laughs> before labor is in the dictionary. The only place you'll find success before diligence is in the dictionary. He says, anything else, you got to work for it. You got to give your effort towards it. The Bible praises industry and diligence. The, the, the example that I like to think about, and there's so many examples, but I like to go back to the story of Noah. I think everyone's familiar with Noah. You know, when the world was in such a terrible place, and God was looking for a man, and you know, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. Who's the one that God chose to save humanity in such a dark place? It was a man of faith, but a man whose faith was practical and that it worked and that it labored. In the dark, desperate hours of human history, God chose Noah, a man whose faith did more than shout, sing, or play the tuba, a man whose faith worked and diligently labored. And the Bible says that he worked and he built something that actually saved his family. He worked hard. You know, he had to labor about 100 years to build that ark. 
about a hundred years, amen, of getting out there day after day and pounding those nails and sawing those boards and just serving and wondering, did God ever speak? And there's not a cloud in the sky. And it gets a little tiresome after a while, but there's something about a man that God can trust, a man that'll plot on, a man that'll work on, a man that'll continue on. Hundreds of years, hundred years goes by. There's not a cloud in the sky, but one day the rain does fall. And in that day, that man of faithful diligence built something that stood the test and saved his family. And if you and I were to say, no, Noah, well, what was it worth it? All that extra sacrifice and the effort and the diligence and the, um, the endurance you had, opposition you had, was it worth it, I believe, at the end of the day? After the storm hit and his family was saved, he would tell you and I it's worth it. It's worth to be diligent. It's worth to be faithful. It's worth it to give God a quality effort so God can use us to build something that'll last and to save lives that are dear and to carry on our call. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, he said, listen, my dearly brother and my brethren, listen, he says, um, be steadfast and immovable. I love it. Dear brother, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. But you know what? Your labor in the Lord, it's never in vain. God reminds us this morning, you keep being diligent. You keep being faithful. If you need to sacrifice, it will be worth it all on that day. But you keep serving God faithfully. It'll be worth it in the end when your family's saved. It'll be worth it on the end when you see your life producing fruit that endures. It'll be worth it in the end when you see the Savior face to face. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want you to recognize this morning your labor, your work, your efforts in the Lord they're never in vain and the diligent effort man that you put into your walk with the Lord and the diligent effort you put into the spiritual well-being of your family will never be in vain you'll never look back with a regret that you took them to Sunday school. You'll never look back and feel sorry that you made the extra effort to get them to VBS when they were little. Oh, no, diligence in industry is something praised by heaven. God says, I'll honor those, and I choose those, and I'll use those that I can depend on to be faithful day in and day out and build and serve and labor for the glory of God. Can you say amen? And again, Peter, he was chosen, and he was a man of industry, hard work. He was a man that could be given an assignment, and he wasn't bailing after things got a little, little hard. He was a diligent, hard-working man. And we all have our place, and we all are needed. And it's been said that you can burn out or rust out, or you can live out your life for Jesus. Let's be those that live out our lives for Jesus. Number one, Peter was a man of industry. And that tells me, Lord, let me not be found as a lazy son, but let me be found as a diligent son that you can use and you can trust in all God's people said. But not only a man of industry, Peter was a man of, uh, of intensity, of intensity. Now, if you know the story, Peter had a big personality. And, and um, this is more than just going through our Christianity as going through the motions, more than just really um, just outwardly going, doing the right things. But having a sincere effort and energy about us when we serve the Lord. 
how can we put it? Um, he, he didn't just work, but he put an effort in what he did. There was an energy for God in what he did. You know, Peter, man, if he, um, let's put it this way, whether he hit the bullseye or he missed it big time, one thing about Peter, he was not lukewarm. Peter, um, whatever he did, he put heart into it. His life was marked with a fervor. His life was marked with energy and zeal. I mean, he preached with zeal. Remember that sermon on the day of Pentecost? I mean, he just tearing the thing up. He, he repented with zeal when he saw Jesus. Get away from me. I'm not worthy. I can't. I mean, he repented with zeal. I mean, he rebuked with zeal. And a nice is a fire. How could you hear you lie to the Holy Ghost? Boom. Across the street you go. He looked at Simon. He said, man, your money perish with you. I mean, Peter didn't mess around. He wasn't going to take him to the counseling corner. He's just tearing it up. He, boom. Here we go. I mean, he cut off ears with zeal. I mean, he went at it. <laughs> oh, Peter. He was something else. I want to be clear in the Bible. The Bible applauds wholehearted fervor and zeal as we serve the Lord. You know, when we study our Bible, we find out that the zeal for the Father's house, a zeal for the Father's name, for his honor, for his word, for his will, is applauded by heaven and honored by heaven. And again, we're not just merely talking emotionalism. We're not just talking demonstrativeness. Though obviously proper expression of emotion is God glorifying and biblical. To express our hearts and our gratitude and our thanksgiving for who he is and what he's done. That's perfect. That's beautiful. But the point here is not so much the outward expression, but the inward effort that you and I give in every part of our walk with the Lord. Peter was a man uh, of intensity. And God is still looking for those in this hour to serve him with a wholeheartedness to serve him with an energy and with sincere effort, not just going through the motions, not just um, coasting with our Christianity, not just having a ritual, but not a reality in our lives. But Lord, help us to be sincere and heartfelt, energetic in our work and in our walk and in our witness and in our worship for the Lord. Let there be an effort and an energy when we pray one for another, when we serve one another, when we, when we sacrifice one for another. Romans 12 and 11, how Paul writes, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. What a verse. Don't be lacking in zeal. May your Christian experience, your Christian effort have an energy about it. Let it be sincere. Let, let it be passionate as you serve the Lord. That word um, um, fervor, let, let it boil. Let it boil. Let, your, let it boil. It's a beautiful word when you study it. Have a fervent spirit for God is worthy. Uh, not merely just going through emotion, but he's worthy of a sincere effort and a sincere worship and a sincere labor of love that flows from our heart. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And then Colossians 3 and 23. Wh whatever we do, let's do it heartily. Let's put our whole heart and soul into it as unto the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, if you're going to teach the class, give it your best. If you're going to usher, give it your best. On the job, you're, you're that witness, you're that testimony, you're the salt and the light. Give it your best. 
Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, as we see our entire lives as being given over to Jesus. I live my life for the glory of God. I live my life for the one that died for me and purchased me. The one that loved me when I wasn't worthy to love. The one that forgave me when I was guilty of all terrible sins. To him and to him alone I serve boldly and I serve wholeheartedly and I serve unashamedly. Can you say amen to that? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for for men, zeal. Peter was a man of zeal, of energy. And again, I'm not just talking about the outward, demonstrative. I'm not more beyond that. That inward effort that touches everything we do. There's an effort. There's a love. There's a zeal. There's an energy behind it. Spiritual intensity. Spiritual passion. Let there be an energy in our service. That when that energy in our lives is harnessed and matured, when it's under the Spirit's control, it becomes productive, not destructive. It becomes a powerful and useful tool in the hand of our God. We pray, Lord, help us to stay spiritually fervent and on fire for Jesus. Help us to remain enthusiastic in our praise and in our prayer and in our hunger for holiness. Help us to stay enthusiastic and burdened for our love for the lost and our effort for our King. We are called to put energy, sincerity, and quality into our walk and our work and our witness for the Lord. What a thought, what a thought. Peter was a man of intensity. Peter was a man to put energy into his service from God. Let us never be guilty of just going through the motions. But what we do, let it flow from a heart that loves God, that's real about this thing, and loves to give God our very best. Amen? Industry, intensity, impulsiveness. Now, impulsive. Peter tended to be impulsive, but I want to let this point, because not everyone can identify with this one. Everyone is called to industry, to serve God faithfully and deal everyone. Everyone is called to have an intensity or, or an energy in what they do for the Lord. He's worthy, amen? He's worthy. Now, impulsive, this might be, this is different for different people. Let this point represent your dominant trait, gift, or personality. You know, we don't have time it's a Wednesday night, three-month study on the Christian's temperaments, personalities, motivational gifts, and they're different. But one thing you know when we study the different giftings, that one gift that can be a great blessing can become a burden when it's not sanctified and matured. Something that is a strength can become overbearing when it's not in proper toe with the Spirit. Amen? So, so we're going to talk about Peter impulsiveness how God was to take this and really use it for his glory. But until then, until it really got harnessed, God wants to harness us. He wants to take you. He wants to take me. He doesn't make us people we're not made. He made you the way you are. He made you with your temperament. He made you with your gifting. He made you with that personality. He just wants to take that and mature it and harness it and polish it so you can be you but be the best you for the glory of God. He didn't make everyone cookie cutter. In Peter's case, we're talking about the impulse. 
You know, to be impulsive can be a blessing, but at times it, it, it can get you in trouble. Amen? I remember that story. The boss was going to make, uh, the owner was going to make a surprise visit to one of his factories. But the heard people were slouching off, and he, he didn't like hearing it, so he had an attitude. And he went in, and as usual, when the boss shows up, everybody jumps to attention. And they, you know, they start working at their factory, and they, they no one stands around. Well, he walked in, the manager in tow of the, of the plant, and he happened to see some guy leaning against there, just lazily leaning in the back. Oh, and enraged the boss. This is the boss. I mean, even if you were slacking off before, when the boss shows up, man, you're supposed to jump to attention. At least make believe, you know, you know what they teach you? If you're going to rest, have a broom in your hand, just in case the boss shows up. Make believe you were sweeping or something. I mean, don't, don't get caught. But, but he sees that, and he got enraged. Hey! How much money do you make a week? The young kid said about $300. Reached into that wallet, money clip. Three $100. He says, take it, get through that door, never come back. He looked at the manager and told him, how long has that guy been working for us? The guy said, boss, he don't work for us. He was here delivering lunch. Hey, Amen. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I mean, you know, you, you, you know, sometimes the impulsiveness gets you in trouble, don't it? Amen. God wants to harness that thing. And so we all have different personality traits. There's someone, you know, very impulsive, but someone gifting. You, you might be very patient, but, you know, sometimes if you're patient, you can miss the blessing if that patience gets at it. So if there's, I'm trying to get us here. But listen, you know, Peter was a man of impulse. Look at the different examples. You know, when Jesus was being arrested, Peter pulls out a sword. You know, impulsive people that have not yet matured and been harnessed by the Spirit often leave a trail of ears behind them that they've cut off. This is the impulse of the flesh. Amen? What do we like to call that? Foot-in-the-mouth disease? Amen. And sometimes we... And that was, but, but then, hey, how about this? Impulse of the flesh. How about the impulse of love? You remember after the resurrection? When they're out there fishing and Jesus calls from the shore? They see Jesus. What does Peter do? He just forget, he don't, forgets the fish, forget rowing. He just dives into the water. He got so excited. The impulse of love. Like a child that couldn't contain their love. Does Jesus still warm your heart? Does Jesus still excite your soul? Does salvation still stir you up? That you can shout and sing this something wonderful. The impulse of love. When you see the one you love, something still stirs up within you. Something still. Whew. Impulse of the flesh. Impulse of love. How about the impulse of faith? One time they're in the storm, a storm that Jesus sent them into. They're rowing and they're getting tired and they're getting weary. In the middle of the night, here comes Jesus walking on the water. He speaks to them, don't be afraid. And Peter responds, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. I don't think any of the other disciples that thought even crossed their mind. But this impulse of faith, as soon as he saw that's Jesus, and Jesus is calling. The impulse of faith awakens in his heart. He's no longer afraid of the storm. He's no longer caring about rowing. He, he, faith comes alive and it's like, God's here. Anything's possible now. Jesus is here and he's speaking in my heart. Nothing's too hard or difficult now. 
It's time to act. It's time to rise up and walk. It's time to stretch forth that hand and be healed. It's time to respond to the presence of God and step out on the promise of God and do what you couldn't do before. There's something about faith. Isn't it a wonderful thing when the impulse of faith awakens in your heart? Oh, miracles get released. Mighty answers to prayer come. The impulse of faith. Recognizing God is here. Respond and receive. Recognize God is speaking to your heart. Expect and act upon that word. The impulse of faith. Today is my day for a miracle. Today is my day for a fresh touch and a breakthrough. The impulse of faith. Oh, not everyone gets the same miracles, do they? The impulse of faith. Again, Peter, that impulse... And again, you might have a different personality trait, so you apply it to where you're at. But this impulsiveness of Peter, it brought him problems. It brought great blessings. He got him into a lot of trouble. You remember when Jesus said, I'm going to wash your feet and teach you a lesson of servant leadership? Oh, Peter put that foot in his, in his mouth again. Not me, Lord. Imagine that. I mean, if Jesus says something, you do it. Amen. Now, Peter, no, 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 no. Peter, if you don't let me do this, you don't got nothing. Oh, Lord, then wash all of me. Wash all of me. You know? He goes from the revelation of the Father to the rebuke of the Son within a matter of one little conversation. Who do men say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son. He speaks up. Peter's always the first one to speak, amen? You read that Bible, he's always, he's always speaking for the group. And that means sometimes he got it right, sometimes not so right. And uh, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, Peter, heaven revealed that to you. Flesh didn't reveal that to you. About, about 30 seconds later, um, Jesus said, I got to go to the cross. And you know what Peter did? He started rebuking Jesus. Can you imagine that? He goes from one moment, he's being applauded, he's getting a revelation. The next moment, he's getting rebuked because he's getting out of touch. And he's trying to tell Jesus how to run things. And how do you know we don't tell Jesus how to run things? Amen? Oh, Peter. Oh, Peter. Peter's impulsiveness got him into a lot of trouble. But here's the important part what we're trying to get through. Once God got a hold of that part of his life, once God really harnessed and matured that part, we leave a lot on the field. Or I should say, we don't, we take a lot and leave a lot in the locker room. When we don't allow God to really mature and harness and develop things in our lives. It shouldn't surprise us when we study Peter's life, if we were just doing a Wednesday night study, we would see Peter getting rebuked more than the other disciples. The Lord is always correcting him as he's running ahead or he's overreacting, he's talking too fast, he's getting things that are a sequence. Again, putting his foot in his mouth. We've all been there. But once God got a hold of this part of his life, whatever your, 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 your personality is, whatever your dominant giftings are, let God mature them. Let God harness them. Let God get a hold of them so he can really use them to their furthest blessing. God wants to get a hold of us. And once God... God did get a hold of Peter. We see his impulsiveness was actually part of his divine makeup. It wasn't the negative, it was a positive that just had to come under the yoke and the reins of Christ. It was part of God's plan and part of God's equipping. 
May God get a hold of our lives in such a way that whatever our personalities are, our temperaments, our giftings might be, let them not stay in the infant stage. Let them not just stay in the rough stage. But let them be brought to a real mature stage where they can be fruitful and they can be effective and they can be used in the measure and in the way God intended to use them and to use our lives. You see, in Peter's life, once God really gets a hold of his heart and his affections and really harnesses his will, that Holy Spirit impulse, sanctified boldness, produced a fearless faith. And that's what God wanted all along. One of the greatest examples in Peter's life was on the day of Pentecost. The city's filled with Jews from every nation of the empire. And when the outpouring of the Spirit came, it flowed on those 120 in the upper room, and they broke forth in tongues and overflowed its banks and went into the streets. And you know the story, a great crowd gathered. There was confusion, there was mocking. They're drunk. They're laughing at them. Well, what, a, what a sight. But in the midst of it all, Holy Ghost boldness, divine impulse. Peter stood up. <laughs> he let it fly. He didn't apologize. Now, no, I've got to pause here, but you know what? Others, maybe John, maybe others, they, they might have tried to defuse the situation. Others might have quietly apologized for Others might have just retreated. We don't want to. Not Peter. Stood up, let it fly. He didn't apologize and didn't hold back. He stood up and he spoke up and salvation came to multitudes in one sermon. This one man was harnessed by God to be the one he was called to be. Oh, my goodness, my goodness. 3,000 are saved and multitudes, nations are touched. One sermon when God's man is under the reins of God's spirit. We offer ourselves, God, take control of my life. God, get a hold of my life. God, take all that you put in me and use it for the purpose it's been intended. Peter, a man of God, a man of sincere and practical faith, our example this Father's Day. We said industry, we said intensity, impulsiveness. You know, it's kind of hard to talk about impulsiveness and not think back to one of my spiritual fathers. He was a real prophet of God. Pastor Veach was quite, quite a man. And you could see the impulse of faith and things that would flow in his life as he'd move out in that prophetic office. You remember Pastor Allen and Sister Mary um, were here. Well, this is Sister Mary's dad. He was our pastor growing up and he spent many years as a missionary in Argentina, and then when he came back to the States, he was in Cuba, Argentina. Then when he came back to the States and he pastored, his churches would always let him go back to Argentina for their annual camp meetings of that, of that fellowship. And so for years, he'd go down there and he'd speak. And in Argentina, their, their, their annual camp meeting for that denomination of fellowship was mostly tents. They'd have tents. Out. They'd have a main tent, a children's tent, a food tent, a prayer tent, you know, all these tents. And... Well, at that one of those years at the camp meeting, there was a teenage daughter of one of the pastors who had been sick for months, lost weight, getting very ill. She couldn't eat. Um, terrible stomach pain, always doubled over. Um, 
lost again, lost weight. And the doctors thought it might have been a parasite. They tried medicine, nothing worked. They tried that, nothing worked. The people prayed, fasted, you know, they, they, had, they prayed for her, nothing worked. Well, between services, they'd get outside the tents and the ministers would fellowship a little bit and talk before the next service began. One of them would have to go teach here. One would run that service. Well, as they were chatting with the ministers, the, the, the young girl came. She approached her dad and she was bent over, really hurting that day, complaining. And just impulse, Pastor Beach, just out of nowhere, bam, he drove his fist into her stomach. And yelled, devil, come out! Immediately healed, immediately set free. She said it hurt a little bit, but it was gone immediately. Now, now, I I don't want to start the punch-in-the-belly ministry. Um, But you want to make sure you're under the reins of the Holy Ghost. But once you're under the reins of the Holy Ghost, it's amazing how the limitations flow off. And God can take you into a new realm of being used for the glory of God. He was something. He was something. That man of God walked down that aisle as a teenager. I repent of everything I could think of and then some. I repent for you, me, and the other. Hey, he's scary. He walked down that aisle, get words of knowledge. He started paying, oh, my Lord. I said, oh, Lord, don't let him stop. I'm with mom today. Oh, God, have mercy. <laughs> he, was, he was a man of God. I'll never forget that story. He said, yeah, I thought, Pastor, I thought, well, what happened? He goes, I don't know. He said, just the impulse came upon me. Bam! Set free. Never troubled by it again. Industry, let's give, let's be diligent in our work for the Lord. Amen? Let's be faithful. Intensity, let's not just go through the motions. Let's put some heartfelt energy to the one that's worthy. Amen? Impulsiveness, again, let that speak about whatever your gifting is, whatever your makeup is. Let God mature it so we can fully use it. Let God harness it so it'll be a mightier instrument in his hands. And the last thought, we won't touch on it too much, of course, was initiative. Because Peter was a leader, amen? He was a leader of that early church. And we pray, Lord, let us lead as we are led. As God's men, as we surrender our lives to the Lord, and we are led of God, may we lead the one he's entrusted to our care, fulfilling our role and our divine purpose in the earth. Can you say amen? amen? You know, very quickly, when I think of the life of Peter, these two thoughts always come to mind. I think we can get this. Number one in Peter, we see in him a picture of ourselves. Because the fact of the matter is, we're all under construction, aren't we? And God called us, and sometimes we were surprised that God wanted us. We, we were a mess. But God saw through us, and God had better plans for us. And God has helped us every step of the way. We know that we're not what we ultimately need to be. But praise God, we're not what we used to be. Can you say amen? I see in Peter a picture of ourselves. And I also see in Peter the beautiful and profound change that Jesus Christ can make in our life. Look at what he's done in us. Amen? And folks, in the same way he took Peter with all his his imperfections, in all his areas that were a little rough and unpolished, and he made him into that pillar of a man and a leader of his church. He can take us 
from where we're at and make us into the men and women he's chosen us to be for his glory. Can you say amen? Amen. Go ahead and stand with me. Let's pray our blessing and open our altar. This is God's second greatest miracle. We thank God that he saved us. Now let God transform us. Let's grow and mature and become the men he's called us to be. Let's be the fathers and the husband that God desires us to be. If you're here today as we pray this final prayer, we'll open the altars. If you need to make things right with the Lord, please don't leave until you do. If you've just been going through the motions and really haven't been serving God wholeheartedly, if you've been getting a little lazy in your Christian experience, and it's time to start getting the sharpness back. Things have been getting a little dull and you need to get that shine back. Then make a fresh commitment. Make the fresh adjustments. And get going on with the Lord. It doesn't matter how many times you tried or failed. God is full of mercy and grace. And if you'll work with God, if you'll cooperate with the Lord, He won't bail on you. But He'll work in your life and He'll help you to grow and help you to become Men, thank God for you. We've got a wonderful group of men that make Pleasant Grove their home church. You've got men that serve faithfully each and every day, practical ways, spiritual ways. Throughout the history of this great church, there's always been spiritual fathers, retired preachers, older men of God that have walked with God, that have been a great influence to all of us. We've never been without fathers in this place. God's been good to us. And now I pray for the young ones. Make up your mind. You're going to fulfill your role. As we honor those, and it seems like every year we turn around, and more of them have gone on to their reward in the presence of Jesus. And those that of us that are left, let's step up to the plate. Let's say, God, here I am. Use me, send me. Nothing half-hearted. Jesus, you gave me your best. I want to give you mine. Amen? We pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful group of men. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're a good father to each one of us. You take good care of us. You encourage us. You comfort us. You strengthen us along the way. And Father, we want to thank you for these earthly men. Natural fathers and spiritual fathers that have provided for us and protected us. They've taught us. They've encouraged us. They've been good examples and good role models to us. Father, we say thank you. And Lord, I thank you and I rejoice in the great growth I've seen in so many of the young men here. Father, I thank you for the good work you are doing and have done in so many of the young men here. They've grown so much. They've come so far just in the last five or six years. And we thank you for that, Lord. Now, Father, bless these men. Continue to use them. Continue to encourage them. As they give you their weakness, give them your strength. As they face the facts with faith, and they're honest about areas they need help, and Lord, give them that help. Help them overcome that weakness. Help them to get a victory in that area. Help them to overcome that challenge. Father, I thank you for the example, encouragement of the life of Peter. And help us to be the men you've called us to be. 
We promise to do our part and to serve you with sincerity and effort. Now, Father, use us, mature us, and let our lives bring great blessing to our homes, to our churches, and to our world. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, would you sing this song one time through before you go? If you need prayer,